All right. Hello, everybody. Jim Paris here and welcome to Ask Me Anything Episode 2. If you're a regular listener to our live show, which is done on Sunday nights, and then, of course, it's put out on all of these platforms for download. We just started this a couple of weeks ago. So this is just our second episode of Ask Me Anything. And these uh, special podcasts are recorded typically Wednesday or Thursday of each week. And it gives listeners the opportunity to record their own question that I will address in this second podcast, which is uh, turning out to be a lot of fun. So if you'd like to record your question uh, to be answered on our next Ask Me Anything, go to jimparisradio.com. You'll see they're very close to uh, the top of the page right after the graphic. You'll see where you can click and record your question. You can do this on a phone. You can do it on a computer. Pretty simple to do. Several people have already done it, and I'm getting good feedback about it. A side benefit of recording your question is that once a month, I'm going to give away all of the books we have here in the studio. All of these books that come in from our guests and people that want to be on the show. Maybe they're never on the show, but we still get a free book from them. Uh, Many times DVDs. We're going to just make up a big box once a month and we're going to pick one random uh, person who recorded a question. Now, you can still send questions in by email, jim at christianmoney.com, but uh, we're uh, saving the uh, the books for someone that records a question and then we'll just take all those names put them in a hat pick out the winner one time each month all right our first question is coming in from linda hi jim this is linda in san bernardino i had sent out an email and it was bounced back by dsl extreme and they're actually controlled by google and um they sent it into my spam file and i I'm sure it was because it, it didn't follow the, the propaganda, what I consider propaganda. I mean, it was uh, a link to an interview with a, um, a colonel, retired colonel, and he was speculating about Afghanistan. And it, you know, it was not in line with the, the liberal, you know, with what Biden would want people to think. In any event, I complained about getting censored and about my email getting bounced. And uh, then DSL sent me an email asking for all kinds of personal information. So my question to you is, do you think it was because they want to harass me? Uh, Google, Big Tech, uh, those goons who program the algorithm, what would be their reason for wanting all this personal information if it's not to harass me? In any event, I'm going to cancel and switch over to a, a new company. Thank you. All right. Interesting question. So Linda, who actually I have known uh, over the Internet for a number of years, she does a lot of emailing and I'm on her email list. And uh, a couple of things here. First of all, Um, If you are doing any type of mass emailing, that is sending out an email to say more than five or 10 people, you really should have an email platform to do that. The old days of simply taking a bunch of names, putting them together uh, on one single email, you know, doing the CC or the BCC uh, and just doing a blast like that, that is really frowned upon by the internet service providers. Uh, In fact, uh, 
I have had it happen to me where even as few as five or six people copied on one email uh, triggers a warning from my internet service provider. Now, the consequences can be pretty serious, which is that you could actually lose the internet uh, at your home. And, you know, this, that, I mean, they could literally say, you are misusing your internet account and we're going to take away your account. So, a couple of things. First of all, um, you can't send out emails unless you have a platform or you're going to run into this kind of a problem. I honestly do not know, Linda, if the reason that your email was sent to spam was because of the content. Probably it was more related to the fact that you were doing an email blast from a personal account, as I just described. Um, now, it is possible, um, even on these email platforms, to get censored from, from them because we've seen this recently where some of the major email platforms are actually closing people's accounts because they disagree with the information they're sending out. And it's it's very much along political lines. It's not like someone is sending out pornography. They're sending out, you know, an email uh, supporting conservative values or supporting Trump or something along those lines. And then they go ahead and close the mass email account. So that's the challenge today for conservatives is to find an email platform where you are able to freely, uh, you know, share your views uh, politically and otherwise. Uh, it, it's a tough situation. So again, I don't think that they uh, censored your content. Now, why are they asking for all this information? It sounds to me like this is just part of their procedure. So you're making a complaint that your information was, um, you know, censored. So they probably have some sort of government compliance on their end that they've got to gather some information from you. Um, I know it's it's easy for all of us in the conservative side here because we are censored so often to immediately jump to the conclusion that when something like this happens, that it is censorship, that they saw your email uh, about Afghanistan and they read it and they decided we can't let this go out. Now, you know, there's no way I can know 100 percent sure that that didn't happen. But this is probably more related to using a personal email account to send out mass emails, which is probably what triggered it to begin with. So if you want to get the workaround, you need to find an email platform. And there are a lot of them out there. Um, I personally use a company called Campaigner. And they're a little bit expensive because they're really set up more for people that have thousands of emails, which is what I have. And when I do an email blast, it, it, it doesn't come from my computer. I'm logging into my campaigner account and then I'm I've got all my, you know, my email list is in that account. And when I do an email blast, I design the email and send it from that account. And that's, um, you know, it's still it still gets bounced in a lot of cases. I I have some emails where as many as 20 percent of the email doesn't get delivered. And that's just because of spam filters. And, you know, there's a lot of spam out there. And so um, sometimes it's it's just, you know, part of the process that email is just not getting to people uh, as much as it used to. I still think email is effective. I still use it in my business. I still reach a lot of people, thousands of people uh, with email, but people are making the transition over to texting and texting is sort of the new emailing. And uh, that might be something for you to look at, Linda, is the idea of maybe these people that follow you and your information, maybe setting up a text distribution 
and you could start a blog and you could write a blog post with all your information and then do a text alerting all your readers that there's new content to come back to your blog. And that might be a better way of getting your information out so that it's not blocked. I sure hope that that helps. And again, not I'm not convinced that them asking you of all this information is anything more than probably just uh, government bureaucratic forms uh, that they're asking for. And I think this can be avoided by using a uh, you know professional uh, mass email platform rather than doing that using your personal email. Hi, Jim. This is Tom in Centennial, Colorado. I really appreciate you and thank you for everything that you do. I'm looking at starting a podcast or video cast of a current events show from a biblical perspective. I want to also be able to encourage people through the times that we're going through and to hopefully advance the Lord's kingdom. Uh, I need some help figuring out how to go about that, and I was hoping that you could recommend a resource for that or even give me your insights on it. And uh, I realize there are several platforms. Maybe you could recommend one. Uh, but primarily, I'm curious about how you attract an audience, how you build a fan base, and how you attract quality guests when you don't have a fan base and you don't have a reputation to stand on. And basically, starting at ground zero, I'm 64 years old. I know this is crazy, but I just have so much I think I can say. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to your response and uh, I really again appreciate everything you do and God bless and God bless all your listeners. Thank you. Hey Tom, thank you so much for your kind words and let me start by saying that man you've got an amazing voice. I think uh, you're doing the right thing here by looking into getting you know into podcasting. Uh, let me let me start by telling you the truth about podcasting. The truth is that it's a little bit of a long process and there's a lot of people that get into podcasting and you can find this yourself if you go on iTunes and look around where they get into podcasting and they produce maybe two, three, four episodes and then they disappear. This is very, very common because they're expecting sort of an overnight following to emerge. And it just doesn't work that way. In fact, uh, I listen to a ton of podcasts, which I always tell people that want to write a book. You know, how do I get started writing a book? Uh, I ask them, how much do you read? Because I'm a big believer. And if you're going to create something, you need to consume that thing. So if you're if you want to be a great cook, then eat at a lot of different restaurants to, to get ideas and get those experiences. So in that same uh, light, um, I have an app on my phone called Pocket Cast which you can use for Android or for the iPhone. And I really love this app. It helps me to keep my podcasts organized that I, that I listen to. And I listen to several podcasts every day. So I'm a huge consumer of podcasts, which I think is what helps me to uh, do a good job in, in creating my own show and, and finding out what people think is interesting and sort of what the trends are. But one of the things that you'll find is if you start listening to podcasts, You'll find that the most successful podcasts that have the most listeners are people that have been doing it a long time. And almost to the podcast, I can tell you, uh, many of these people have been doing it for five years, some even 10 years. So I don't want to discourage you by telling you that because there's always that first podcast that you put out there. And the key is to be consistent to put out a new episode on a, on a consistent basis. 
I think kind of the minimum standard would be once a month. But I think that once a week is is probably the best standard as far as a minimum goes. I mean, if you have the time and the, the passion, uh, look, look at doing, you know, two a week, that, that would even be better. Uh, but doing at least one a week and being consistent. And uh, one guy you should look at, he's got uh, a number of books out. I believe one of his books is just straight up how to get started in podcasting. His name is John Lee Dumas, D-U-M-A-S. Um, I also think that John Dumas on iTunes has a, a, a podcast that he set up that that is just uh, it's like, I don't know, several episodes, which takes you through the process of setting up and getting started with your podcast. So I want you to know it is a long game. It's not a short game. My show, this particular show has now been on for over seven years. And uh, we're now at a point where we're breaking new records every week as far as downloads and, and all of that goes. Now, as far as getting started, if I were to start all over again, I'd probably use something like Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is is a really neat platform. It even gives you a way to make money from your podcast. Um, I think it's super low cost or even free to be able to use it. Uh, a lot of these free ones have sort of a, an entry level and then they've got an upgrade. But it, it, if, it, if it does cost anything, it's, it's pretty nominal. And when you create a podcast, keep in mind, Tom, all you're doing is recording a you know an audio clip that's all that it is people get all um, worked up about special microphones and video and all of that i would start simply i i wouldn't even worry about video to begin with uh, if you want to do podcasting i mean I, I wasn't doing video for years with my show and now i am uh, this particular uh, episode, uh, we're not doing the ask me anything's on video. We're just doing these straight out as audio. Uh, but I would start, you know, just get started and and start, you know, uh, they, they typically say John Lee Dumas would tell you, create your first three episodes before before you um you know, put it up there at all. So you want to give people more than just one episode. Do you want to start with at least three episodes? So you want to get those done and then put those online. Now, how to get guests? Um, keep in mind that if you want to get big name guests, it's not impossible if you're kind of a newbie to podcasting. It's not impossible to get big name guests uh, right from the get go. It's challenging, though. I, I will tell you that. Um, I've been around in broadcasting for a long time when people type my name and typically what will happen is my producer will send an email and how we do this is you can go to Amazon, look at any book that's up on Amazon and you can find out who the publisher is. Once you find out who the publisher is, then you can go to that website and there's typically some sort of an intake form or a contact contact us, you know, email link. Short of that, there's also sometimes we don't get a response from a publisher. So we'll look up the person, you know, find their personal website, the author. If we can't find that, we might even go as far as like try to contact them through Facebook or even Twitter. And sometimes it takes a few weeks, sometimes even months to get bigger names to come on the show. Um, so I don't want you to uh, be discouraged uh, about that. I mean, the truth is it will be tough to get bigger names, especially when you're first starting. What happens, though, we reach out to somebody 
and obviously what they do is they're going to Google search Jim Paris live and they're going to see I'm everywhere and they're going to want to be on the show. We have very few people that turn us down. However, if you're new, you're probably going to have a hard time getting bigger name guests. So here's what you do. You just get smaller guests to begin with. There are a lot of people that would love to be on a podcast to tell their story, to talk about their book or their project. Um, You just it's a numbers game. So you might invite 10 people and get one just in the beginning. You might have to do 10 invites to get the one. Um, But also, I would encourage you to not look at your podcast solely as a guest interview podcast, because that is a harder road. uh, It really is, because uh, in my case, the way I've designed my podcast or my, my live show on Sunday nights is I do a new segment, which is just me. And then I do a guest segment, which I like those segments to be what I call evergreen, which is that uh, they can be up, uh, they can be online, you know, forever and people will be interested in them. You know, topics like the JFK assassination, where somebody's going to be interested in that in 10 years, even though I'm recording it, you know, this week, they'll, they'll be interested in that in 10 years. Those are great episodes to get, you know, people to listen to sort of your back catalog uh, of broadcasts. Um, so. I also, though, think that you want to develop your own persona and you want to do episodes that are just you. And that's tough for some people. If you're not super comfortable behind the microphone, it sounds like you are. I mean, you've got a great voice. You're not uh, stumbling over your words. Uh, You probably could just, you know, turn on the microphone and uh, record to your computer and, and start creating episodes. If that's a struggle for you, consider a co-host, you know, somebody that uh, you can go back and forth with. That makes it a lot easier. Uh, Most of talk radio, if you think about it, is not interview uh, based. It's just the host. You know, look at Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin. These are people that generally don't have a lot of guests. I know Hannity does have some guests here and there, but it's just it's mostly Hannity just uh, turning on the mic and talking about his opinions. And that's really what talk radio is about. And that's sort of what podcasting, you know, is built around. I'll also leave you with this last tip. When I go to the microphone, I always think of. I'm talking to one person and I sort of visualize it's maybe uh, a guy sitting out in his garage, maybe as the AM radio on. He's working on a project out there uh, or it could be a lady. But I, I always think about that. I'm speaking to one person and I'm always myself. I don't do I don't try to uh, introduce words that I don't normally use. I don't try to be Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh. I'm just Jim Paris. And being your authentic you, coming to the microphone and just being yourself is what's going to build your following. And I will tell you this, that if you take that kind of a friendly approach to your broadcasting, uh, people will feel like you're part of their family. I cannot tell you uh, over the years as I've traveled around the country uh, and run into people that listen. I mean, they literally come up and hug me like I'm a family member. And that's something you can do with podcasting that you can't do with very many other, you know, uh, forms of media. 
uh, even the video side, the YouTube, you know, I, I, I put my Sunday night show up on YouTube. I just started doing that about a year ago as far as the the actual live me sitting in the studio. Before that, it was just the audio of the show would go up on YouTube. But now it's, you know, me in the studio, sort of that live look. And um, I'll be honest with you, I still get most of the people that listen is just the audio, just downloading all, all that sort of thing. Um, so be yourself. Um, there's a lot more to know about podcasting that I'm not going to be able to get into here on this episode. Uh, check out John Lee Dumas. Uh, there's there's a great book he has out on this. He also does have sort of a free step by step. I think it's over at iTunes in the form of a podcast, like how to get started with your own podcast. Uh, don't overthink it. Uh, just get turn the mic on and start recording. Um, I use a, pr- a little program called WavePad, which makes it easy for me to record and uh, do the editing and all that right on my desktop. So, uh, Tom, I'd love to help you um, to get the, the word out. So as soon as you get those first three episodes posted, let me know and I'll be happy to share that on my social media. And uh, I think you're going in the right direction. You've got a great voice for radio and uh, podcasting. And I think, uh, you know, you're you're somebody that uh, that sounds like you're passionate about your topic. And that's pretty much all you need. God bless. And thank you so much for listening. All right. Our next question is coming in by email from Sheila in Chicago, and she wants me to talk about NFTs and she wants to know if this is as big of an opportunity as Bitcoin. Ah, boy, this is something I I don't know a lot about NFTs, but I will tell you what I do know. And I am very fascinated by this. So I'm glad, Sheila, that you asked me this question. Give me a chance to talk about it a little bit. So what is an, an NFT? Non-fungible token. (laughs) What in the world is a non-fungible token? So uh, kind of think of it like this. It's like if you were to take Bitcoin and combine it with a piece of artwork, then you've got an NFT, a non-fungible token. Interesting that just today um, I was reminded that there is a a training course on how to create non-fungible tokens over at Udemy. And I love Udemy, that's spelled U-D-E-M-Y. They've got all kinds of really interesting uh, courses that you can take. Uh, Don't ever pay full price because almost every week there's a sale. So go on to Google and type in Udemy, that's U-D-E-M-Y, Udemy coupon code and you'll find a coupon code and they're, they're really worth pursuing because sometimes a course is like a hundred bucks and you can get it for ten dollars if you've got the coupon code. So these are great, great coupons. But in any case, they have a course out on how to create NFTs. And this is a strange thing, but I will have to tell you, people are creating artwork and then putting that artwork on the blockchain and I believe it's typically the Ethereum blockchain. They're putting the, the, the piece of artwork on the blockchain and then it gets sold. And then the person that buys it has now that intellectual property, that that piece of digital artwork, which I know this sounds crazy, but people are actually collecting this now, this digital artwork. Some of it is selling for millions of dollars. I am not kidding you. It is it is crazy how much some of it's selling for. I had read an article, and I, and I hope I'm remembering this right, that um, 
that Jack Dorsey, the guy that creator, that apparently they took the first tweet on Twitter and turned that into a digital asset. And then they sold it and it was for millions of dollars. Somebody, quote unquote, bought the first tweet. And I'm having a really hard time just wrapping my brain around this idea of digital art. I mean, something that it's not art you put up on your wall. It's art that exists only in a digital form on the blockchain and that it's worth money and people are buying and selling and, you know, collecting them like Pokemon cards and baseball cards and all of that. It is a very interesting thing to watch. And I have to tell you, I have a very similar feeling to how I felt when I first got involved with Bitcoin. When I first got involved with Bitcoin, I was like, what? Digital money? This makes no sense. <laughs> but I, I bought a little bit and made a lot of money from it. So it was, um, you know, worth worthwhile doing it. So I, I never set that as my uh, as as a, as like a, a roadblock or a hurdle for myself that I've got to understand it completely before I can do it. I mean, I wouldn't put any tremendous amount of money into NFTs at this point. I, I don't know. I mean, I look at it kind of like Bitcoin, like if you've got 50 or 100 bucks to lose then you could go ahead and, and put some money in, you know, in terms of of speculative money that, that you can afford to lose. Uh, but NFT. So uh, uh, my son in law is actually a really incredible artist. And I've been telling him about this. And he kind of looks at me with like this blank look on his face like what? Um, but if you are someone that is artistically inclined and you have a little bit of technical, you know, technological savvy, you may want to look into this. Um, in fact, I'm probably going to sign up myself and take that NFT course over at Udemy because I'm just interested in it. And um, it's probably something I could, I don't know, write an article about or include as a chapter in maybe the next book I do about Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. So non-fungible tokens, it is a thing and uh, something that would probably be worthwhile uh, studying. Who knows? It might, you know, just be a bubble and, and goes away. But it, it seems like it's really catching on and a lot of people are talking about it. So I hope that answers your question, Sheila. And I wish you the best of success pursuing NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And our last question for this Second episode of Ask Me Anything is from Bill in Los Angeles. Bill wants to know what my process is for writing a book. He wants to write a book and wants to know how to get started. Uh, wow, this is so similar to what I was talking to Tom about earlier, uh, this getting a podcast started. What so many times happens with these creative processes is people get all wrapped up in the I don't know, the, the technical side of it, like, oh, I've got to go find the right microphone before I can start my podcast. I've got to find the right special software. I've got to research and find, you know, which platform I'm going to use uh, to upload my podcast. And they get all, you know, um, focused on these technical things. And then they never actually produce the first episode of their podcast or they produce maybe one episode or two episodes and they quit and they never do a third. And that's the end of it. So the same thing happens with with books. Um, the minute people find out I write books, they're sort of fascinated, like, wow, I've never met an author. Uh, and by the way, some people who don't know uh, kind of diminish me by saying, oh, you're a self-published guy. I am presently self-published, but I've been published by 
I believe five different publishing houses. So I'm both. I'm I'm a a published author as well as now a self published author. Um, so I, I say that there's a little bit of pride, I guess, in in making sure that people know that I've actually been published by major publishing houses, and now I'm choosing to be self published. I could certainly go back to publishers, but I like the control. I like the opportunity to make that entire publishing profit instead of having to give up 90% of that uh, to a publisher. So how do I write? How do you get started? So, you know, maybe I'll do a whole podcast on this at some point. And by the way, in my, in my online course, I do have several training videos over at uh, internetpaycheckforlife.com several training videos in there about my writing process but let me start by saying this that when you start writing it's going to not be good in the beginning and so what happens is people expect to be able to sit down at their computer and just start writing. And then it's like, oh, there's my first chapter. It's done. Um, in, especially when you're new to writing, when if you've never written a book before, you're going to end up uh, writing that first, say, 500 words or 1,000 words. And then you're going to read it and you're going to probably tear most of it apart and edit it. And then you're going to be on your second draft and your fifth draft and your 10th draft. And that's how it works. Nobody sits down and just writes a perfect book. Uh, so there's a lot of editing. There's a lot of revising. And that's what gets people discouraged. But I can tell you a little shortcut that makes your first draft cleaner than it would otherwise be, which is to to outline. So the, the real central theme to my writing process is outlining so how I like to do this is for me, I like to come up with the title of the book, even though that may change in the end, it gives me kind of a focus of what I'm doing. So I'll write down on a yellow pad the, the title of my book. Then what I'll do is I'll go below the title and I'll start writing chapter titles. Now what I'll do is I'll take uh, that that top sheet off the yellow uh, pad and I will rip it off and I'll set it to the side and then I will take a separate page and I'll write each chapter title on its own separate page. So let's say there are 10 chapters. So now I've got 10 pages with just the chapter titles at the top of each page on my yellow pad. What I will then do is go in and start writing bullet points below each of those chapter titles. Um, these are the the subtopics that I will be covering in that chapter. So it what ends up happening is when you're done with that outline, you will have almost like a blueprint for your book so that when you go to the computer to begin writing, it's so well laid out and you'll probably take that outline that's handwritten and you'll put it into the computer and you'll go through that again, maybe three, four or five times. Maybe you'll move a subtopic over to another chapter because you think it might be better over there. Maybe you'll come up with a few more that you didn't think of the first time you went through your outline. The better your outline, the faster you're going to write and the better quality that first draft is going to be. Uh, so I will give you that today as sort of my my main central strategy for for writing. I will also tell you this, that people who are writers write every day 
at least five days a week. So if you if you really want to write, Bill, if you want to write a book, what you got to do is find a time. And, you know, some people say you've got to get up at five in the morning and you do it first thing in the morning. Um, I personally don't like to write really early in the morning. I'm just not creative early in the morning. I'm just not. And, you know, I know that that's, you know, the the picture that everybody has is that, uh, you know, that I'm up at like 5 a.m., get my cup of coffee, and then I'm, I'm pounding out my 500 or my 1,000 words for the day. Sometimes my best window is like 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That's just me. So you want to find that time in your day that you can consistently write every single day. And, and a good number of words to look at that you'll hear from a lot of writers is 500 words every day at least five days a week. And if you can't bring yourself to do 500 words a day, do 250 words a day. The whole point though is to be consistent, to write every single day. How I like to do it is I like to do 500 to 1,000 words a day. I don't worry about editing or any of that while I'm writing. I write and I don't go back and worry about editing. What I do is the next day when I sit down, to write for my, you know, for the next day. What I start with is my prior day. My prior day gets edited before I start writing um, uh, on the next day. So I don't do the editing of my work the same day I write it. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which I won't have time to get into, but that's how I do it. Everybody has their own process and every first draft is gonna have a bunch of revisions. It do, It is. But the key is you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing forward one step at a time, another step, another step, another step. And then eventually you have a book. A book does not happen by just talking a lot about it and like spending all your time and energy buying books on writing and asking writers, uh, authors about, you know, how they write. I mean, I'm I'm really flattered that anybody asks me about my writing method. Um, it's one of the greatest compliments you can get as a writer. However, it's it's all about getting started, you know, sitting down at the computer and filling up those blank pages with words and then you can go back and edit it later. So that's all I can get into for today. Bill, I hope that helps you get started. That's my biggest advice. Um, I've got somebody very close to me that has an incredible life story. And every time I see this person, they they immediately light up and they say, I've got to write that book. I've got to write that book. I've got this that story I want to tell. And I try to do all I can to encourage them. And this has been going on for years. And every time I see them, it's that same enthusiasm. I've got to write that book. And the years just keep clicking by and they haven't written the first page. And so, you know, there, there's that that first day that you sit down and you start writing and that becomes, uh, you know, the, the first page of your book and you just go forward and it could take you a year or two of daily writing to have a book. And that's OK. Um, if, it, if it goes slowly, as long as you're making progress uh, towards completing it, uh, there'll be lots of editing, lots of revisions You'll probably cut paragraphs out and maybe move them to different chapters. All that stuff happens as your project is coming together. 
Uh, but you got to start taking those first steps. And I believe that the key is a great outline uh, almost creates a book that can write itself, if that makes any sense, Bill. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Please support the sponsor for today's episode, which is Internet Paycheck for Life dot com. Lot, a lot in there on podcasting, a lot in there on writing and self-publishing and writing your own book, a lot in there on that as well. Both questions that came up today. Thank you so much, everybody that uh, sent a question in by email and especially to those that recorded a question. And you can record your own question at jimparisradio.com. Thanks for listening. This is Jim Paris here as always to help you make the most of God's money. So long, everybody.